Shana Tova. This past May, my daughter Amalia came into the world, and it took nearly an hour before Ayelet and I finally saw one another smile. It wasn't that we weren't happy, but I promise you we were each grinning ear to ear. But our joy was hidden behind our masks, meant to keep ourselves and others safe, but unwittingly providing much more of a physical barrier between us and the world that we ever wanted. Eventually, we got to our own room and we removed our masks. I gave Ayelet a kiss for the first time in that moment, and I was finally able to wholly share my happiness with another. But it was a closed system. Only my wife could see my face. We were separate from the world. The intimacy of marriage on steroids. Ayelet was the only person in the world for whom it was safe enough to fully encounter my joy. I'm not alone. Everyone here is encountering the world with a mask on. And no matter who you are or what you do, this pandemic necessitates that a piece of yourself must remain at a distance from others around you. Last night, I spoke about how to cultivate an inner resolve during this time. But as we know, life is not lived in a vacuum. COVID-19 has changed the very nature of our relationships, and today I want to spend a little time reflecting on what that change means for us. Some of us are blessed to have abiding love with a spouse, deep kinship with a sibling, or meaningful connections with a child. But the most pervasive relationship in our lives is usually our friendships. Through sheer number, our friendships win by a long shot. If we do marriage or parenthood right, those relationships too will share many of the important features of our most meaningful friendships. But as we know, COVID makes it very difficult to foster friendships and to build community. Not only can we physically not see one another, but in effort to protect our health, we are forced to keep some of our most intimate relationships at a literal and figurative arm's distance. And in the breach, we miss a lot. I will never again take for granted the power of the casual encounter or the hallway run-in. In a given synagogue program, I could usually talk to dozens, if not hundreds, of people. Walking through the crowd, I could get a pulse on where your lives were. Today, I have to be mindful and seek out congregants, an impossible task with 500-plus families. And I end up missing some of you in the process. As an aside, if that is you, please reach out to me. I would love to connect. For those I do speak with, we are separated by a mask or a screen. If communication is mainly about subtle body language, then I miss much of what you say because I do not have access to all the information before me. And if we are lucky enough to see one another in person, I spend much of that encounter distracted by the choreography of our conversation. Are we standing far enough apart? Are either of us touching something that we shouldn't? 
Today, the fabric binding us to our friends in our community has been torn asunder. Yet the essence of our friendships remain if we only know where to look. A millennium ago, Maimonides, Judaism's great philosophical mind, sketched out four categories of friendship. His framework is instructive for this moment. The first he calls a friendship of utility. These are friendships based around the benefit and value that each party gets from the friendship. They're the business partner that we meet for golf, the parent that we bond with while our kids play together, the restaurant owner who spends hours greeting his regulars. Here the friendship stands on the shoulders of something else that can easily break. We are friends because of what we get from the other. Maimonides calls his second category a friendship for pleasure. Here too there is a utility that one gains from their friend, but rather than gain prestige or power, one gains enjoyment, amusement, entertainment. This is the friend that we do things with. It's the friend you go into the city with to see a show, that you try new restaurants with, that particular friend that can make you belly laugh as you stay up late eating wine and cheese. In truth, the bulk of our friendships fall into one of these two categories. And what makes COVID so hard is that COVID robs us of our business dinners, our ruckus parties, the casual run-ins that end hours later over a cup of coffee. If you are feeling lonely, trapped, or even bored during these period of months, it is because these avenues of friendship are not available to you. Luckily, Maimonides saw his categorization of friendship as hierarchical. And the second two categories, though rarer, are more available to us at this time. The third category, which is an offshoot of pleasure, is called a friendship of confidence. If we're lucky, we have a handful of these friendships. As Maimonides explains, a friend of confidence is one in which a person can, quote, confide his soul. He continues, quote, he will not keep anything from him, not in action or in speech. And he will make known to him all of his affairs, the good ones and the disgraceful, without fearing from him that any loss will come from all of this, not from him or not from another. If you are lucky, these friendships have become a lifeline for you. And the reason is simple. If you want to understand loneliness, picture two people. And between them lives all their secrets, all their shames, everything that they aren't ready to share with the world. The more stuff that exists between two people that they are not sharing, the larger the chasm between the two, and the further away they feel from one another. As two friends become more intimate, sharing what is buried deep within, the gap between them is bridged. Loneliness lives within the space between you and others. And it is alleviated when we have people who can close that abyss and come together to truly see one another. Only through sharing our full selves will we combat the ever present and growing loneliness among us. Sadly, these friendships are growing ever rarer. 
Studies have shown that in 1985, the average person had three people in their life in which they could confide. By 2004, that number had dropped to nearly two, and today it is between two and one. For men, it is 0.8. COVID makes everything about intimacy harder. Usually friendships take turns with people falling apart. A person loses a loved one and many people who are not grieving come to their aid. A person gets divorced or loses a job or struggles with a child with mental illness and their friends are able to hold them up through it. But today, everyone is broken. I've had people confide in me that they stopped confiding in their friends because they know that their friends are also struggling. Or they feel like with everyone stretched too thin, they don't want to burden their friends with their troubles. But that is not how friendship works. Love necessitates honest sharing. I've always loved the story by Rev. Levi Yitzchak of Berdichev about a scene that he once observed while visiting the owners of a tavern in the Polish countryside. When he walked in, he saw two peasants at a table gloriously drunk, arms around each other. They were protesting how much they loved the other. Suddenly, Ivan turned to Peter. Peter, tell me what hurts me. Bleary-eyed, Peter looked at Ivan. How do I know what hurts you? Ivan replied, disappointed. If you don't know what hurts me, how can you say you love me? Through the, though the distance makes it harder, we cannot give up on cultivating friendships of confidence. Many of us are blessed to have supportive partners or loving children, but we cannot solely rely on them to be seen. Our era necessitates that we have the courage to reach out and be honest with others outside of our home. As hard as it is to find the time, and as a parent of a newborn and a toddler, I get it. Knowing that others see you, warts and all, and still love you, this will help give you the strength to persevere. Now, as important as finding friendships in which to confide in is, Maimonides emphasizes that there is an even greater friendship. And he calls this a friendship of virtue. So what is exactly does he mean by a friendship of virtue? In a perfect world, our deepest relationships will help us grow. In fact, if we do friendships right, we will become better through our interactions with others. How many of us have become more patient or more forgiving or more loving because someone in our lives taught us how to be so? And how many of us have helped others to grow through honest dialogue, thoughtful engagement, or open sharing? Where a friendship of confidence receives a person exactly as they are, friendships of virtue do the opposite. They encourage us to push, to probe, to prod, until we and our friends have risen to a higher rung of goodness. Friendships of virtue are hard to cultivate. You need to trust and have history with another to make them work. Otherwise, you are just another busybody. 
But when done right, these friendships are what will carry you through life, especially now. Last night I spoke about the need not to press pause on life. And I spoke about creating an inner resolve to do this. But sometimes we need friends to hold us accountable. We need friends who will name when they see us being self-destructive, when they observe us fading inward, when they know we are at our wit's end, and then we need them to help us find a way out. Temple Ner Tamid wants to be your partner in doing this. We have launched and will be launching a number of groups to foster exactly this open sharing. A group for people dealing with aging parents, which we have had over the course of the past two years. Another for parents of school-aged children who need just as much support in order to figure out how to balance everything. And another group of individuals dealing with the pain of being supportive grandparents from afar. And we can add to this the work that we are already doing with our seniors as part of the Jurian Fellowship and the work that we will continue to do with teens this year through youth group, our Wednesday night classes, and our boys and girls Rosh Chodesh groups. And I know there are other groups that we still need to tap, like college-age students living at home or 20-somethings who are maybe out of work and also living here. But you don't need to join a support group to support one another. Reach out. The worst that can happen is that you offer support and you find out it is not needed. You can't fix this moment for other people. COVID is too heavy a burden and it is not your job. But you may give someone the strength to fix one problem, insight to tackle one challenge, fortitude to push for one more day. Imagine that we each have a key to a door that brings us one step closer to wholeness at this rocky time. Yours might be perseverance. Mine might be compassion. How wonderful it would be if our friendship allowed us to exchange keys from time to time. Over time, would we not cope better with life's greatest challenge? All we need to do is let others in enough to exchange those keys. In essence, then, the two best forms of friendship involve a full acceptance of another and the courage to grow in reciprocity, to foster confidence and to strive together for virtue. In a word, to love your fellow human being simply and fiercely with no strings attached. The Talmud teaches, quote, any love that is dependent on something, when that thing perishes, so too does the love, but a love that is not dependent on something, that love does not ever perish. The thing on which our love has rested, they are no more. COVID took our routines, our hobbies, and our pastimes away. But it cannot rob us of our souls. And even now, separated by a computer or behind a mask, those souls are craving a connection. Times of crisis form an opportunity for us all. They strip away the facade. Because we can't build friendships dependent on the usual things, we are forced to go deeper, 
faster. If you have the courage to seek out others in which to confide and grow, you will leave this crisis for the better. With so much of our lives on hold, our relationships are at least one thing that we have the agency to foster. There's an ancient teaching that, quote, anyone who stands beside their community in distress will merit seeing the consolation of that community. We are all in distress in some way. But we are also able to stand beside others in it. I have faith that we will see consolation one day. But until then, we hold up one another, stronger together, ready to support one another in whatever the next moment brings. Shana Tovah.